CD3. There was the time when the Baron's champion hound was caught killing sheep. It was a hunting dog, after all, but it had got out onto the downs, and because sheep run, it had chased. The Baron knew the penalty for sheep worrying. There were laws on the chalk, so old that no one remembered who made them, and everyone knew this one, sheep killing dogs were killed. But this dog was worth five hundred gold dollars, and so, the story went, the Baron sent his servant up onto the downs to Granny's hut on wheels. She was sitting on the step, smoking her pipe and watching the flocks. The man rode up on his horse and didn't bother to dismount. That was not a good thing to do if you wanted Granny Aching to be your friend. Iron-shod hooves cut the turf. She didn't like that. He said, "'The Baron commands that you find a way to save his dog, Mistress Aching. In return he will give you a hundred silver dollars.' Granny had smiled at the horizon, puffed at her pipe for a while, and replied, "'A man who takes arms against his lord, that man is hanged. A starving man who steals his lord's sheep, that man is hanged. A dog that kills sheep, that dog is put to death. Those laws are on these hills, and these hills are in my bones. What is a baron that the law be break for him?' She went back to staring at the sheep. "'The baron owns this country.' said the servant. It is his law. The look Granny Aching gave him turned the man's hair white. That was the story, anyway. But all stories about Granny Aching had a bit of fairy tale about them. If it is, as you say, his law, then let him break it and see how things may then be, she said. A few hours later, the Baron sent his bailiff, who was far more important, but had known Granny Aching for longer. He said, Mrs. Aching, the Baron requests that you use your influence to save his dog. He will happily give you fifty gold dollars to help ease this difficult situation. I am sure you can see how this will benefit everyone concerned. Granny smoked her pipe and stared at the new lambs and said, You speak for your master and your master speaks for his dog. Who speaks for the hills? Where is the Baron that the law be break for him? They said that when the Baron was told this, he went very quiet. But although he was pompous and often unreasonable and far too haughty, he was not stupid. In the evening he walked up to the hut and sat down on the turf nearby. After a while, Granny Aching had said, "'Can I help you, my lord?' "'Granny Aching, I plead for the life of my dog,' said the Baron. "'Bring ye siller, bring ye gilt,' said Granny Aching." "'No silver, no gold,' said the Baron. "'Good. A law that is break by siller and gilt is no worthwhile law. "'And so, my lord?' "'I plead, Granny Aching.' "'You try to break the law with a word?' "'That's right, Granny Aching.' Granny Aching, the story went, stared at the sunset for a while and then said, "'Then... Be down at the little old stone barn at Doran tomorrow, and we'll see if an old dog can learn new tricks. There will be a reckoning. Good night to you. Most of the village was hanging around the old stone barn the next morning. Granny arrived with one of the smaller farm wagons. It held a ewe with her newborn lamb. She put them in the barn. Some of the men turned up with the dog. It was nervy and snappy, having spent the night chained up in a shed, 
and kept trying to bite the men who were holding it by two leather straps. It was hairy, it had fangs. The baron rode up with the bailiff. Granny Aching nodded at them and opened the barn door. "'You're putting the dog into the barn with a sheep, Mrs. Aching,' said the bailiff. "'Do you want it to choke to death on lamb?' This didn't get much of a laugh. No one really liked the bailiff. "'We shall see,' said Granny. The men dragged the dog to the doorway, threw it inside the barn and slammed the door quickly. People rushed to the little windows. There was the bleating of the lamb, a growl from the dog, and then a bar from the lamb's mother. But this wasn't the normal bar of a sheep. It had an edge to it. Something hit the door and it bounced on its hinges. Inside the dog yelped. Granny Aching picked up Tiffany and held her up to a window. The shaken dog was trying to get to its feet, but it didn't manage it before the ewe charged it again, seventy pounds of enraged sheep slamming into it like a battering ram. Granny lowered Tiffany again and lit her pipe. She puffed it peacefully as the building behind her shook and the dog yelped and whimpered. After a couple of minutes, she nodded at the men. They opened the door. The dog came out limping on three legs, but it hadn't managed to get more than a few feet before the ewe shot out behind it and butted it so hard that it rolled over. It lay still. Perhaps it had learned what would happen if it tried to get up again. Granny Aching had nodded to the men, who grabbed the sheep and dragged it back into the barn. The Baron had been watching with his mouth open. "'He killed a wild boar last year,' he said. "'What did you do to him?' "'He'll mend,' said Granny Aching, carefully ignoring the question. "'Tis mostly his pride that's hurt. "'But he won't look at a sheep again. "'You have my thumb on that.' "'And she licked her right thumb and held it out. "'After a moment's hesitation, "'the Baron licked his thumb, "'reached down and pressed it against hers. "'Everyone knew what it meant. "'On the chalk, a thumb bargain was unbreakable. "'For you, at a word, "'the law was break,' said Granny Aching. "'Will you mind that, ye who sit in judgment?' "'Will you remember this day? "'You'll have cause to.' "'The Baron nodded to her. "'That'll do,' said Granny Aching, "'and their thumbs parted. "'Next day, the Baron technically did give Granny Aching gold, "'but it was only the gold-coloured foil "'on an ounce of Jolly Sailor, "'the cheap and horrible pipe tobacco "'that was the only one Granny Aching would ever smoke. "'She was always in a bad mood if the peddlers were late "'and she'd run out. "'You couldn't bribe Granny Aching for all the gold in the world,' but you could definitely attract her attention with an ounce of Jolly Sailor. Things were a lot easier after that. The bailiff was a little less unpleasant when rents were late, the baron was a little more polite to people, and Tiffany's father said one night after two beers that the baron had been shown what happens when sheep rise up, and things might be different one day, and her mother hissed at him not to talk like that because you never knew who was listening. And one day, Tiffany heard him telling her mother quietly, "'Twas an old shepherd's trick, that's all. "'An old ewe will fight like a lion for a lamb, we all know that.' "'That was how it worked. "'No magic at all. "'But that time it had been magic. "'And it didn't stop being magic "'just because you found out how it was done. "'The knack feagles were watching Tiffany carefully, "'with occasional longing glances at the bottle of special sheep liniment.' I haven't even found the witch's school, she thought. I don't know a single spell. I don't even have a pointy hat. 
My talents are an instinct for making cheese and not running around panicking when things go wrong. Oh, and I've got a toad. And I don't understand half of what these little men are saying, but they know who's taken my brother. Somehow I don't think the Baron would have a clue how to deal with this. I don't either, but I think I can be clueless in more sensible ways. I remember a lot of things about Granny Aching, she said. What do you want me to do? The Kelder sent us, said Rob anybody. She sensed the Quinn coming. She kenned there was going to be trouble. She told us it's going to be bad. Find the new hag who's kin to Granny Aching. She'll ken what to do. Tiffany looked at the hundreds of expectant faces. Some of the Feagles had feathers in their hair and necklaces of mole teeth. You couldn't tell someone with half his face dyed dark blue and a sword as big as he was that you weren't really a witch. You couldn't disappoint someone like that. "'And will you help me get my brother back?' she said. The Feagles' expressions didn't change. She tried again. "'Can you help me steal my brother back from the Quinn?' Hundreds of small yet ugly faces brightened up considerably. "'Ach, knew you're talking your language,' said Rob anybody. "'Not quite,' said Tiffany. "'Can you all just wait a moment? I'll just pack some things,' she said, trying to sound as if she knew what she was doing. She put the cork back on the bottle of special sheep liniment. The knack-mack feagles sighed. She darted back into the kitchen, found a sack, took some bandages and ointments out of the medicine box, added the bottle of special sheep liniment, because her father said it always did him good, and, as an afterthought, added the book Diseases of the Sheep, and picked up the frying pan. Both might come in useful. The little men were nowhere to be seen when she went back into the dairy. She knew she ought to tell her parents what was happening, but it wouldn't work. It would be telling stories. Anyway, with any luck, she could get Wentworth back before she was even missed. But just in case... She kept a diary in the dairy. Cheese needed to be kept track of, and she always wrote down details of the amount of butter she'd made and how much milk she'd been using. She turned to a fresh page, picked up a pencil, and with her tongue sticking out of the corner of her mouth, began to write. The knack-mack feagles gradually reappeared. They didn't obviously step out from behind things, and they certainly didn't pop magically into existence. They appeared in the same way that faces appear in clouds and fires. They seemed to turn up if you just looked hard enough and wanted to see them. They watched the moving pencil in awe, and she could hear them murmuring, "'Look at that writing stick new, will you, bobbing along that's hag business? Ach, she has the kenning of the writing, sure enough!' "'But you'll no right do nor names, eh, mistress? "'Aye, a body can be put in the prison if they have written evidence.' "'Tiffany stopped writing and read the note. "'Dear Mum and Dad, "'I have gone to look for Wentworth. "'I am perfectly, no, probably, no, quite safe, "'because I am with some friends, um, acquaintances, people who know Granny. "'P.S. The cheeses on Rack 3 will need turning tomorrow if I'm not back. "'Love, Tiffany.' Tiffany looked up at Rob Anybody, who had shinned up the table leg and was watching the pencil intently in case it wrote something dangerous. "'You could have just come and asked me right at the start,' she said. "'We didn't ken it was thee we were looking for, mistress. Lots of big job women walking around this farm. We didn't ken it was thee until you caught Duff Woolly.' "'It might not be,' thought Tiffany. "'Yes, but stealing the sheep and the eggs, there was no need for that,' she said sternly. "'But they wasn't nailed down, mistress,' said Rob anybody, as if that was an excuse. "'You can't nail down an egg,' 
snapped Tiffany. Ach, well, you'd have the kenning of why stuff like that, mistress, said Rob anybody. I see you's done with your writing, so we'd, we'd best be going. You have besom? Broomstick, murmured the toad. Er, no, said Tiffany. The important thing about magic, she added haughtily, is to know when not to use it. Fair enough, said Rob anybody, sliding back down the table leg. Come here, Duff Willie. One of the feagles that looked very much like that morning's egg thief came and stood by Rob anybody, and they both bent over slightly. If you'd care to step on us, mistress, said Rob anybody. Before Tiffany could open her mouth, the toad said out of the corner of its mouth, and being a toad, that means quite a lot of corner, one feagle can lift a grown man. You couldn't squash one if you tried. I don't want to try. Tiffany very cautiously raised a big boot. Daft Woolly ran underneath it, and she felt the boots being pushed upwards. She might as well have trodden on a brick. Now, t'other wee booty, said Rob anybody. I'll fall over. Nay, we're good at this. And then Tiffany was standing up on two pictses. She felt them moving backwards and forwards underneath her, keeping her balanced. She felt quite secure, though. It was just like wearing really thick soles. Let's gee, said Rob anybody down below. And don't worry about yon pussycat scraffing the wee buddies. Some of the lads is staying behind to mind things. Ratbag crept along a branch. He wasn't a cat who was good at changing the ways he thought, but he was good at finding nests. He'd heard the cheeping from the other end of the garden, and even from the bottom of the tree he'd been able to see three little yellow beaks in the nest. Now he advanced, dribbling. Nearly there. Three knack-mack feagles pulled off their straw beaks and grinned happily at him. "'Hullo, Mr. Pussycat,' said one of them. "'You dunna learn, do you? Cheap!' Chapter 5 The Green Sea Tiffany flew a few inches above the ground, standing still. Wind rushed around her as the feagles sped out of the farmyard's top gate and onto the turf of the downs. This is the girl flying. At the moment there's a toad on her head, holding onto her hair. Pull back, and here is the long green whale back of the downs. Now she's a pale blue dot against the endless grass, mowed by the sheep to the length of a carpet. But the green sea isn't unbroken. Here and there, humans have been. Last year, Tiffany had spent three carrots and an apple on half an hour of geology, although she'd been refunded a carrot after explaining to the teacher that geology shouldn't be spelt on his sign as G, Ollie, G. He said that the chalk had been formed under water millions of years before from tiny seashells. That made sense to Tiffany. Sometimes you found little fossils in the chalk. But the teacher didn't know much about the flint. You found flints, harder than steel in chalk, the softest of rocks. Sometimes the shepherds chipped the flints, one flint against another, into knives. Not even the best steel knives could take an edge as sharp as flint. And men, in what was called on the chalk the olden days, had dug pits for it. They were still there, deep holes in the rolling green, filled with thickets of thorn and brambles. Huge, knobbly flints still turned up in the village gardens, too. Sometimes they were larger than a man's head. They often looked like heads, too. They were so melted and twisted and curved that you could look at a flint and see almost anything. A face, strange animal, a sea monster. 
Sometimes the more interesting ones would be put on garden walls for show. The old people called those calkins, which meant chalk children. They'd always seemed odd to Tiffany, as if the stone was striving to become alive. Some flints looked like bits of meat or bones or something off a butcher's slab. In the dark, under the sea, it looked as though the chalk had been trying to make the shapes of living creatures. There weren't just chalk pits. Men had been everywhere on the chalk. There were stone circles half fallen down, and burial mounds like green pimples, where, it was said, chieftains of the olden days had been buried with their treasure. No one fancied digging into them to find out. There were odd carvings in the chalk, too, which the shepherds sometimes weeded when they were out on the downs with their flocks and there was not a lot to do. The chalk was only a few inches under the turf. Hoof prints could last a season, but the carvings had lasted for thousands of years. They were pictures of horses and giants, but the strange thing was that you couldn't see them properly from anywhere on the ground. They looked as if they'd been made for viewers in the sky. And then there were the weird places like Old Man's Forge, which was just four big flat rocks placed so they made a kind of half-buried hut in the side of a mound. It was only a few feet deep. It didn't look anything special, but if you shouted your name into it, it was several seconds before the echo came back. There were signs of people everywhere. The chalk had been important. Tiffany left the shearing sheds way behind. No one was watching. Sheared sheep took no notice at all of a girl moving without her feet touching the ground. The lowlands dropped away behind her, and now she was properly on the downs. Only the occasional bar of a sheep or scream of a buzzard disturbed a busy silence, made up of bee buzzes and breezes and the sound of a ton of grass growing every minute. On either side of Tiffany, the knack-mack feagles ran in a spread-out ragged line, staring grimly ahead. They passed some of the mounds without stopping and ran up and down the sides of shallow valleys without a pause. And it was then that Tiffany saw a landmark ahead. It was a small flock of sheep. There were only a few freshly sheared, but there were always a handful of sheep at this place now. Strays would turn up there, and lambs would find their way to it when they'd lost their mothers. This was a magic place. There wasn't much to see now, just the iron wheels sinking into the turf and the pot-bellied stove with its short chimney. On the day Granny Aching died, the men had cut and lifted the turf around the hut and stacked it neatly somewhere away. Then they dug a deep hole in the chalk, six feet deep and six feet long, lifting out the chalk in great damp blocks. Thunder and lightning had watched them carefully. They didn't whine or bark. They seemed more interested than upset. Granny Aching had been wrapped in a woollen blanket, with a tuft of raw wool pinned to it. That was a special shepherd thing. It was there to tell any gods who might get involved that the person being buried there was a shepherd, and spent a lot of time on the hills, and what with lambing and one thing and another, couldn't always take much time out for religion, there being no churches or temples up there, and therefore it was generally hoped that the gods would understand and look kindly on them. Granny Aching, it had to be said, had never been seen to pray to anyone or anything in her life, and it was agreed by all that even now she wouldn't have any time for a god who didn't understand that lambing came first. The chalk had been put back over her, and Granny Aching, who always said that the hills were in her bones, 
now had her bones in the hills. Then they burned the hut. That wasn't usual, but her father had said that there wasn't a shepherd anywhere on the chalk who'd use it now. Thunder and lightning wouldn't come when he called, and he knew better than to be angry, so they were left sitting quite contentedly by the glowing embers of the hut. Next day, when the ashes were cold and blowing across the raw chalk, everyone went up onto the downs and with very great care put the turf back, so all that was left to see were the iron wheels on their axles and the pot-bellied stove. At which point, so everyone said, the two sheepdogs had looked up, their ears pricking, and had trotted away over the turf and were never seen again. The Pictsies, carrying her, slowed down gently, and Tiffany flailed her arms as they dropped her onto the grass. The sheep lumbered away slowly, then stopped and turned to watch her. "'Why are we stopping? Why are we stopping here? We've got to catch her!' "'Got to wait for Hamish, mistress,' said Rob anybody. "'Why? Who's Hamish?' "'He might have the knowing of where the Queen went with your wee laddie,' said Rob anybody soothingly. "'We canny just rest in, you can.' A big, bearded fegal raised his hand. "'Point of order, big man. You can just rush in. We always just rush in.' "'Aye, big yan point well made. But you got to know where you're just going to rush in. You can't just rush in anywhere. It looks bad having to rush out again straight away.' Tiffany saw that all the feagles were staring intently upwards and paying her no attention at all. Angry and puzzled, she sat down on one of the rusty wheels and looked at the sky. It was better than looking around.' There was Granny Aching's grave somewhere around here, although you couldn't find it now, not precisely. The turf had healed. There were a few little clouds above her, and nothing else at all except the distant circling dots of the buzzards. There were always buzzards over the chalk. The shepherds had taken to calling them Granny Aching's chickens, and some of them called clouds like those up there today Granny's little lambs. And Tiffany knew that even her father called the thunder Granny Aching Cussin. And it was said that some of the shepherds, if wolves were troublesome in the winter, or a prize you had got lost, would go to the site of the old hut in the hills and leave an ounce of jolly sailor tobacco just in case. Tiffany hesitated. Then she shut her eyes. I want that to be true, she whispered to herself. I want to know that other people think she hasn't really gone too. She looked under the wide, rusted rim of the wheels and shivered. There was a brightly coloured little packet there. She picked it up. It looked quite fresh, so it had probably been there for only a few days. There was the jolly sailor on the front, with his big grin and big yellow rain hat and big beard, with big blue waves crashing behind him. Tiffany had learned about the sea from the jolly sailor wrappings. She'd heard it was big and roared. There was a tower in the sea which was a lighthouse that carried a big light on it at night to stop boats crashing into the rocks. In the pictures, the beam of the lighthouse was a brilliant white. She knew about it so well she dreamed about it and had woken up with the roar of the sea in her ears. She'd heard one of her uncles say that if you looked at the tobacco label upside down, then part of the hat and the sailor's ear and a bit of his collar made up a picture of a woman with no clothes on. But Tiffany had never been able to make it out, and couldn't see what the point would be in any case. She carefully pulled the label off the packet and sniffed at it. It smelled of Granny. She felt her eyes begin to fill with tears. She'd never cried for Granny aching before, never. 
She'd cried for dead lambs and cut fingers and for not getting her own way, but never for Granny. It hadn't seemed right. And I'm not crying now, she thought, carefully putting the label in her apron pocket. Not for Granny being dead. It was the smell. Granny Aching smelled of sheep, turpentine and jolly sailor tobacco. The three smells mixed together and became one smell which was, to Tiffany, the smell of the chalk. It followed Granny Aching like a cloud and it meant warmth and silence and a space around which the whole world revolved. A shadow passed overhead. A buzzard was diving down from the sky towards the Nack Macfiegel. She leapt up and waved her arms. Run away! Duck! It'll kill you! They turned and looked at her for a moment as though she'd gone mad. Dinner fash yourself, mistress, said Rob anybody. The bird curved up at the bottom of its dive, and as it climbed again, a dot dropped from it. As it fell, it seemed to grow two wings and started to spin like a sycamore bract, which slowed down the fall somewhat. It was a pixie, still spinning madly when he hit the turf a few feet away when he fell over. He got up, swearing loudly, and fell over again. The swearing continued. "'A good landing, Hamish,' said Rob anybody. "'The spinning certainly slows you doon. You didn't he drill right into the ground this time hardly at all?' Hamish got up more slowly this time, and managed to stay upright. He had a pair of goggles over his eyes. "'I didn't think I can take much more of this,' he said, trying to untie a couple of thin bits of wood from his arms. "'I feel like a fairy with the wings on.' "'How can you survive that?' Tiffany asked. The very small pilot tried to look her up and down, but only managed to look her up and further up. "'Who's the wee big job who knows such a lot about aviation?' he said. Rob anybody coughed. "'She's the hag, Hamish. Spawn a granny aching.' Hamish's expression changed to a look of terror. "'I didn't mean to speak out a ton, mistress,' he said, backing away. "'Of course, a hag had have the knowing of everything. "'But tis nay as bad as it looks, mistress. "'I always make sure the lands on my heed.' "'Aye, we're very resilient in the heed department,' said Rob anybody. "'Have you seen a woman with a small boy?' Tiffany demanded. She hadn't much liked spawn. Hamish gave Rob anybody a panicky look, and Rob nodded. "'Aye, I did.' said Hamish, on a black horse, riding up from the lowlands, going hell for it. We didn't use bad language in front of a hag, Rob anybody thundered. Begging your pardon, mistress, she was riding heck for leather, said Hamish, looking more sheepish than the sheep. But she kenned our spine on her, and cawed up a mist. She's gone to the other side, but I didn't ken where. Tis a perilous place, the other side, said Rob anybody slowly. Evil things there, a cold place, not a place to tuck a wee babby. It was hot on the downs, but Tiffany felt a chill. However bad it is, she thought, I'm going to have to go there. I know it. I don't have a choice. The other side, she said. Aye, the magic world, said Rob anybody. There's bad things there. Monsters, said Tiffany. As bad as you can think of, said Rob anybody. Exactly as bad as you can think of. Tiffany swallowed hard and closed her eyes. Worse than Jenny? "'Worse than the headless horseman,' she said. "'Why? "'They are a wee pussycats compared to the scunners over there. "'Tis an ill-fed country that's come a-calling, mistress. "'Tis a land where dreams come true. "'That's the Queen's world.' "'Well, that doesn't sound too...' "'Tiffany began. "'Then she remembered some of the dreams she'd had, "'the ones where you were so glad to wake up. "'We're not talking about nice dreams, are we?' she said. 
Rob anybody shook his head. Nay, mistress, the other kind. And me with my frying pan and diseases of the sheep, thought Tiffany. And she had a mental picture of Wentworth amongst horrible monsters. They probably wouldn't have any sweeties at all. She sighed. All right, she said. How do I get there? Your dinner can't away, said Rob anybody. It wasn't what she'd been expecting. What she had been expecting was more like, Ach, you canna do that a wee lass like you, or dearie us no. She wasn't so much expecting that as hoping it, in fact. But instead, they were acting as if it were a perfectly reasonable idea. No, she said, I don't dinner any ken at all. I haven't done this before. Please help me. That's true, Rob, said a feagle. She's new to the haggin. Take her to the kelder. Not e'en Granny Aching ever went to see the kelder in an ain cave, snapped Rob anybody. It's no a... Quiet, hissed Tiffany. Can't you hear that? The feagles looked around. Hear what? said Hamish. It's a susurration. It felt as though the turf was trembling. The sky looked as though Tiffany was inside a diamond, and there was the smell of snow. Hamish pulled a pipe out of his waistcoat and blew it. Tiffany couldn't hear anything, but there was a scream from high above. "'I'll let you know what's happening,' cried the Pixie, and started to run across the turf. As he ran, he raised his arms over his head. He was moving fast by then, but the buzzard sped down and across the turf even faster, and plucked him neatly into the air. As it beat at the air to rise again, Tiffany saw Hamish climbing up through the feathers. The other feagles had formed a circle around Tiffany, and this time they'd drawn their swords. "'What's the plan, Rob?' said one of them. "'Okay, lads, this is what we'll do. As soon as we see something, we'll attack it, right?' This caused a cheer. "'Ach, tis a good plan,' said Daft Woolly. Snow formed on the ground. It didn't fall. It did the opposite of melting, rising up fast until the knack-mack feagles were waist-deep, and then up to their necks. Some of the smaller ones began to disappear, and there was a muffled cursing from under the snow. And then the dogs appeared, lumbering towards Tiffany with a nasty purpose. They were big, black and heavily built, with orange eyebrows, and she could hear the growling from here. She plunged her hand into her apron pocket and pulled out the toad. It blinked in the sharp light. What's up? Tiffany turned him round to face the things. What are these? she said. Oh, doke! Grimhounds, bad, eyes of fire and teeth of razor blades. What shall I do about them? Not be here? Thank you, you've been very helpful. Tiffany dropped him back into her pocket and pulled her frying pan out of her sack. It wasn't going to be good enough, she knew that. The black dogs were big and their eyes were flames, and when they opened their mouths to snarl she could see the light glint on steel. She'd never been afraid of dogs, but these dogs weren't from anywhere outside of a nightmare. There were three of them, but they circled so that no matter how she turned she could only see two at once. She knew it would be the one behind her that attacked first. "'Tell me something more about them,' she said, turning the other way to the circle so that she could watch all three. "'Said to haunt graveyards,' said a voice from her apron. "'Why is there snow on the ground?' "'This has become the Queen's land. "'It's always winter here. "'When she puts out her power, it comes here too.' "'But Tiffany could see green some way off, "'beyond the circle of snow. "'Think, think. "'The Queen's country, "'a magical place where there really were monsters, "'anything you could dream of in nightmares. 
Dogs with eyes of flame and teeth of razors, yes. You didn't get them in the real world. They wouldn't work. They were drooling now, red tongues hanging out, enjoying her fear. And part of Tiffany thought, it's amazing their teeth don't rust. And took charge of her legs. She dived between two of the dogs and ran towards the distant green. There was a growl of triumph behind her, and she heard the crunch of paws on snow. The green didn't seem to be getting nearer. She heard yells from the Pictses and a snarl that turned into a wail, but there was something behind her as she jumped over the last of the snow and rolled on the warm turf. A grimhound leaped after her. She jerked herself away as it snapped, but it was already in trouble. No eyes of fire, no teeth of razors. Not here, not in the real world on the home turf. It was blind here and blood was already dripping from its mouth. You shouldn't jump with a mouth full of razors. Tiffany almost felt sorry for it as it whined in pain, but the snow was creeping towards her and she hit the dog with the frying pan. It went down heavily and lay still. There was a fight going on back in the snow. It was flying up like a mist, but she could see two dark shapes in the middle, spinning around and snapping. She banged on the pan and shouted, and a grimhound sprang from the whirling snow and landed in front of her, a feagle hanging from each ear. The snow flowed towards Tiffany. She backed away, watching the advancing, snarling dog. She held the pan like a bat. Come on, she whispered. Jump. The eyes flamed at her, and then the dog looked down at the snow and vanished. The snow sank into the ground. The light changed. Tiffany and the wee free men were alone on the downs. Feagles were picking themselves up around her. Are you fine, mistress? said Rob anybody. "'Yes,' said Tiffany. "'It's easy. "'If you get them off the snow, they're just dogs. "'We'd better move on. "'We lost some of the lads.' "'The excitement drained away. "'You mean they're dead?' Tiffany whispered. "'The sun was shining brightly again. "'The skylarks were back. "'And people were dead. "'Ach, no,' said Rob. "'We're the ones who did. "'Did you not know that?' Chapter 6 The Shepherdess You're dead, said Tiffany. She looked around. Feagles were picking themselves up and grumbling, but no one was going wheelie, 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 and Rob anybody wasn't making any sense at all. Well, if you think you're dead, then what are they? She went on, pointing to a couple of small bodies. Oh, they've gone back to the land of the living, said Rob anybody cheerfully. "'It's nay as good as this one, but they'll bite fine and come back before too long. "'No sense in grieving.' "'The Achings were not very religious, but Tiffany thought she knew how things ought to go, "'and they started out with the idea that you were alive and not dead yet. "'But you are alive,' she said. "'Ach, no, mistress,' said Rob, helping another Pixie to his feet. "'We was alive, and we was good boys back in the land of the living.' "'And so, when we died there, we was bond into this place.' "'You mean, you think, that you sort of died somewhere else and then came here?' said Tiffany. "'You mean this is like heaven?' "'Aye, just as advertised,' said Rob anybody. "'Lovely sunshine, good hunting, nice pretty flowers, and we butt is going cheap. "'Aye, and then there's the fighting,' said another feagle, and then they all joined in. "'And the stealing!' "'And the drinking and fighting, and the kebabs,' said Duff Woolly. "'But there's bad things here,' said Tiffany. "'There's monsters.' "'Aye,' 
said Rob, beaming happily. Grand, isn't it? Everything laid on, even things to fight. But we live here, said Tiffany. Ach, well, maybe all you humans was good in the last world, too, said Rob anybody generously. I'll just round up the lads, mistress. Tiffany reached into her apron and pulled out the toad as Rob walked away. Oh, we survived, it said. Amazing. There are very definite grounds for an action against the owner of those dogs, by the way. What? said Tiffany, frowning. What are you talking about? I... I don't know, said the toad. The thought just popped into my head. Perhaps I knew something about dogs when I was human. Listen, the feagles think they're in heaven. They think they died and came here. And, said the toad, well, that can't be right. You're supposed to be alive here and then die and end up in some heaven somewhere else. Well, that's just saying the same thing in a different way, isn't it? Anyway, lots of warrior tribes think that when they die they go to a heavenly land somewhere, said the toad. You know, where they can drink and fight and feast forever, so maybe this is theirs. But this is a real place. So? It's what they believe. Besides, they're any small. Maybe the universe is a bit crowded and they have to put heavens anywhere there's room. I'm a toad, so you'll appreciate that I'm having to guess a lot here. Maybe they're just wrong. Maybe you're just wrong. Maybe I'm just wrong. A small foot kicked Tiffany on the boot. We'd best be moving on, mistress, said Rob anybody. He had a dead feagle over his shoulder. Quite a few of the others were carrying bodies too. Er, are you going to bury them? said Tiffany. Aye, they didn't need these old bodies new, and it's no tidy to leave them lying about, said Rob anybody. "'Besides, if the big jobs find little wee skulls and bones around, they'll start to wonder, and we don't want anyone poking a boot. "'Saving your presence, mistress,' he added. "'No, that's very uh, uh, practical thinking,' said Tiffany, giving up. "'The feagle pointed to a distant mound with a thicket of thorn-trees growing on it. "'A lot of the mounds had thickets on them. "'The trees took advantage of the deeper soil. "'It was said to be unlucky to cut them down. "'It's nay very far new,' he said. "'You live in one of the mounds?' Tiffany asked. I thought they were, you know, the graves of ancient chieftains. Ach, aye, there's some old dead kingy in the chamber next door, but he's nae trouble, said Rob. Dinny fret, there's nae skellingtons or any such in orbit. It's quite roomy. We've done it up a treat. Tiffany looked up at the endless blue sky over the endlessly green downland. It was all so peaceful again, a world away from headless men and big savage dogs. What if I hadn't taken Wentworth down to the river, she thought. What would I be doing now? Getting on with the cheese, I suppose. I never knew about all this. I never knew I lived in heaven, even if it's only heaven to a clan of little blue men. I didn't know about people who flew on buzzards. I never killed monsters before. Where do they come from, she said. What's the name of the place the monsters come from? Ah, you probably ken the place well, said Rob anybody. As they grew nearer the mound, Tiffany thought she could smell smoke in the air. "'Do I?' she said. "'Aye, but it's no a name I'll say in open air. "'It's a name to be whispered in a safe place. "'I'll not say it under the sky.' "'It was too big to be a rabbit hole, "'and badgers didn't live up here, "'but the entrance to the mound was tucked amongst the thorn roots, "'and no one would have thought it was anything "'but the home of some kind of animal. "'Tiffany was slim, but even so she had to take off her apron "'and crawl on her stomach under the thorns to reach it.' and it still needed several feagles to push her through. 
At least it didn't smell bad, and, once you were through the hole, it opened up a lot. Really, the entrance was just a disguise. Underneath, the space was the size of quite a large room, open in the centre but with fiegel-sized galleries around the walls from floor to ceiling. They were crowded with pictures of all sizes, washing clothes, arguing, sewing, and here and there fighting, and doing everything as loudly as possible. Some had hair and beards tinged with white. Much younger ones, only a few inches tall, were running around with no clothes on and yelling at one another at the tops of their little voices. After a couple of years of helping to bring up Wentworth, Tiffany knew what that was all about. There were no girls, though. No wee free women. No, there was one. The squabbling, bustling crowds parted to let her through. She came up to Tiffany's ankle. She was prettier than the male feagles, although the world was full of things prettier than, say, daft woolly. But like them, she had red hair and an expression of determination. She curtsied and then said, "'Are you the big job hag, mistress?' Tiffany looked around. She was the only person in the cavern who was over seven inches tall. "'Er, yes,' she said. "'Er, more or less, yes.' "'I am Fion. The Kelder says to tell you the wee boy may come to near harm yet.' "'She's found him,' said Tiffany quickly. "'Where is he?' "'Nay, nay. But the Kelder knows the ways of the Queen. She didn't want you to fash yourself on that score.' "'But she stole him.' "'Aye, tis complicated. Rest a wee while. The Kelder will see you presently. She is not strong now.' Fion turned around with a swirl of skirts, strode back across the chalk floor as if she was a queen herself, and disappeared behind a large round stone that leaned against the far wall. Tiffany, without looking down, carefully lifted the toad out of her pocket and held it close to her lips. "'Am I fashing myself?' she whispered. "'No, not really,' said the toad. "'You would tell me if I was, wouldn't you?' said Tiffany urgently. "'It'd be terrible if everyone could see I was fashion and I didn't know.' "'You haven't a clue what it means, have you?' said the toad. "'Not exactly, no. "'She just doesn't want you to get upset, that's all.' "'Yes, I thought it was probably something like that,' lied Tiffany. "'Can you sit on my shoulder? I think I might need some help here.' The ranks of the Nakmak Fiegel were watching her with interest, but at the moment it appeared that she had nothing to do but hurry up and wait. She sat down carefully, drumming her fingers on her knees. "'What do you think of the wee place, eh?' said a voice from below. "'It's great, yeah?' She looked down. Rob Anybody Fiegel and a few of the Pictses she'd already met were lurking there, watching her nervously. "'Very cosy,' said Tiffany, because that was better than saying how sooty or how delightfully noisy. She added, "'Do you cook for all of you on that little fire?' The big space in the centre held a small fire under a hole in the roof which let the smoke get lost in the bushes above and in return brought in a little extra light. Aye, mistress, said Rob anybody. The small stuff, bunnies and that, added Daft Woolly. The big stuff we roast on the chalk peak. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? What? said Rob anybody innocently, his hand firmly over the mouth of the struggling Woolly. What was Woolly saying about roasting big stuff? "'Tiffany demanded. "'You roast big stuff in the chalk pit. "'Is this the kind of big stuff that goes bar? "'Because that's the only big stuff you'll find in these hills.' "'She kneeled down on the grimy floor "'and brought her face to within an inch of Rob Anybody's face, "'which was grinning madly and sweating. "'Is it?' 
Ach, ah, uh, we'll, in a manner of speaking, it is. Tis not thine, mistress, shrieked Rob anybody. We ne'er took an aching ship without the leave of Granny. Granny aching let you have sheep. Aye, aye, she did, she did, did she did that, as, as payment. Payment for what? No aching ship ever got caught by wolves, Rob anybody gabbled. No foxes took an aching lamb, right? Nor no lamb e'er had its een picked out by corpies, not with wee Hamish up in the sky. Tiffany looked sideways at the toad. Crows, said the toad. They sometimes peck out the eyes of... Yes, yes, I know what they do, said Tiffany. She calmed down a little. Oh, I see. You kept away the crows and wolves and foxes for Granny, yes? Aye, mistress. No just kept them away, neither, said Rob anybody triumphantly. There's good eating on a wolf. Aye, they kebabs up a treat, but they're no as good as a ship, though. <coughs> Woolly managed, before a hand was clamped over his mouth again. From a hag you only tack what you's given, said Rob anybody, holding his struggling brother firmly. Since she's gone, though, we'll... We tacked the odd old you that would have deed anyway, but ne'er one with the aching mark on my honour. On your honour as a drunken rowdy thief, said Tiffany. Rob, anybody, beamed. Aye, he said, and I got a lot of good big reputation to protect there. That's the truth of it, mistress. We keeps an eye on the ships of the hills in memory of Granny Aching, and in return we tack what is hardly worth a thing. And the backy, of course. <laughs> And then, once again, Daft Woolly was struggling to breathe. Tiffany took a deep breath, but not a wise move in a feagle colony. Rob anybody's nervous grin made him look like a pumpkin man faced with a big spoon. "'You take the tobacco,' hissed Tiffany. "'The tobacco the shepherd's leaf from my grandmother.' Ah, "'I forgot about that,' squeaked Rob anybody. "'But we always wait a few days in case she comes to collect it herself. "'You can ne'er tell we a hag after all. "'And we do mind the ship's mistress, and she wouldn't grudge us as mistress. "'Many's a night she'd share a pipe with the kelder outside our house and the wheelies. "'She'd not be the one to let good backy get all rainy. "'Please, mistress.' "'Tiffany felt intensely angry, and what made it worse was that she was angry with herself.' "'When we find lost lambs and such like, we drives them here for when the shepherds come looking,' Rob anybody added anxiously. "'What did I think happened?' Tiffany thought. "'Did I think she'd come back for a packet of jolly sailor? "'Did I think she was still somehow walking the hills looking after the sheep? "'Did I think she was still here watching for lost lambs? "'Yes, I want that to be true. "'I don't want to think she's just gone. "'Someone like... Granny Aching can't just not be there any more, and I want her back so much because she didn't know how to talk to me, and I was too scared to talk to her, and so we never talked, and we turned silence into something to share. I know nothing about her, just some books and some stories she tried to tell me, and things I didn't understand, and I remember big, red, soft hands and that smell. I never knew who she really was. I mean, she must have been nine, too, once. She was Sarah Grizzle. She got married and had children. Two of them in the shepherding hut. She must have done all sorts of things I don't know about. And into Tiffany's mind, as it always did sooner or later, came the figure of the blue and white china shepherdess, swirling in red mists of shame. 
Tiffany's father took her to the fair at the town of Yelp one day not long before her seventh birthday, when the farm had some rams to sell. That was a ten-mile journey, the furthest she'd ever been. It was off the chalk. Everything looked different. There were far more fenced fields and lots of cows, and the buildings had tiled roofs instead of thatch. She considered that this was foreign travel. Granny Aching had never been there, said her father on the way. She hated leaving the chalk, he said. She said it made her dizzy. It was a great day. Tiffany was sick on candy floss, had her fortune told by a little old lady who said that many, many men would want to marry her, and won the shepherdess, which was made of china painted in white and blue. She was the star prize on the hoopla stall, but Tiffany's father had said it was all cheating, because the base was so wide that not one throw in a million could ever drop the hoop right over it. She'd thrown the ring any old how, and it had been the one in a million. The stallholder hadn't been very happy about it landing over the shepherdess rather than the gimcrack rubbish on the rest of the stall. He handed it over when her father spoke sharply to him, though, and she'd hugged it all the way home on the cart while the stars came out. Next morning she'd proudly presented it to Granny Aching. The old woman had taken it very carefully in her wrinkled hands and stared at it for some time. Tiffany was sure now that it had been a cruel thing to do. Granny Aching had probably never heard of shepherdesses. People who cared for sheep on the chalk were all called shepherds. And that was all there was to it. And this beautiful creature was as much unlike Granny Aching as anything could be. The China shepherdess had an old-fashioned long dress, with the bulgy bits at the side that made it look as though she had saddlebags in her knickers. There were blue ribbons all over the dress, and all over the rather showy straw bonnet, and on the shepherd's crook, which was a lot more curly than any crook Tiffany had ever seen. There were even blue bows on the dainty foot poking out from the frilly hem of her dress. This wasn't a shepherdess who'd ever worn big old boots stuffed with wool and tramped the hills in the howling wind with a sleet being driven along like nails. She'd never tried in that dress to pull out a ram who'd got his horns tangled in a thorn patch. This wasn't a shepherdess who'd kept up with the champion shearer for seven hours, sheep for sheep, until the air was hazy with grease and wool and blue with cussing, and the champion gave up because he couldn't cuss sheep as well as granny aching. No self-respecting sheepdog would ever come by or walk up for a simpering girl with saddlebags in her pants. It was a lovely thing, but it was a joke of a shepherdess, made by someone who'd probably never seen a sheep up close. What had Granny Aching thought about it? Tiffany couldn't guess. She'd seemed happy because it's the job of grandmothers to be happy when grandchildren give them things. She'd put it up on her shelf and then taken Tiffany on her knee and called her My Little Jigget in a nervous sort of way, which she did when she was trying to be grandmotherly. Sometimes, in the rare times Granny was down at the farm, Tiffany would see her take down the statue and stare at it. But if she saw Tiffany watching, she'd put it back quickly and pretend she'd meant to pick up the sheep book. Perhaps, Tiffany thought wretchedly, the old lady had seen it as a sort of insult. Perhaps she thought... She was being told that this was what a shepherdess should look like. She shouldn't be an old lady in a muddy dress and big boots, with an old sack around her shoulders to keep the rain off. A shepherdess should sparkle like a starry night. Tiffany hadn't meant to... She'd never meant to... 
but perhaps she had been telling Granny that she wasn't right. And then, a few months after that, Granny had died, and in the years since then everything had gone wrong. Wentworth had been born, and then the Baron's son had vanished, and then there had been that bad winter when Mrs Snappily died in the snow. Tiffany kept worrying about the statue. She couldn't talk about it. Everyone else was busy or not interested. Everyone was edgy. They'd have said that worrying about a silly statue was... silly. Several times she nearly smashed the shepherdess. But she didn't, because people would notice. She wouldn't have given something as wrong as that to Granny Aching now, of course. She'd grown up. She remembered that the old lady would smile, oddly sometimes, when she looked at the statue. If only she'd said something. But Granny liked silence. And now it turned out that she'd made friends with a lot of little blue men, who walked the hills looking after the sheep because they liked her too. Tiffany blinked. It made a kind of sense. In memory of Granny Aching, the men left the tobacco. And in memory of Granny Aching, the Knack MacFeagal minded the sheep. It all worked, even if it wasn't magic. But it took Granny away. Darth Woolley, she said, staring hard at the struggling Pixie and trying not to cry. Mm-hmm. Is it true what Rob anybody told me? Hmm? Daft Woolley's eyebrows went up and down furiously. Mr. Feagle, you can please take your hand away from his mouth, said Tiffany. Daft Woolley was released. Rob anybody had looked worried, but Daft Woolley was terrified. He dragged his bonnet off and stood holding it in his hands, as if it was some kind of shield. Is all that true, Daft Woolley? said Tiffany. Oh, whaley, whaley, just a simple yes or... A simple aye or nay, please. Aye, it is, blurted out Daft Woolley. Oh, whaley, whaley. Yes, thank you, said Tiffany, sniffing and trying to blink the tears away. All right, I understand. The Feagles eyed her cautiously. You're nae going to get nasty about it, said Rob anybody. No, it all works. She heard it echo around the cavern, the sound of hundreds of little men sighing with relief. "'She didna turn me into a pismire,' said Daft Woolly, grinning happily at the rest of the Pictses. "'Hey, lads, I talked with the hag, and she didna e'en look at me crossways. She smiled at me.' He beamed at Tiffany and went on, "'And ye ken, mistress, that if and you hold the backy label upside doon, then part of the sailor's bonnet and his ear become a lady with name. <coughs> "'Ach, there I goes again, accidentally nearly throttling ye,' said Rob anybody, his hand clamping over Woolly's mouth. Tiffany opened her mouth but stopped when her ears tickled strangely. In the roof of the cave, several bats woke up and hastily flew out of the smoke hole. Some of the feagles were busy on the far side of the chamber. What Tiffany had thought was a strange round stone was being rolled aside, revealing a large hole. Now her ears squelched and felt as though all the wax was running out. The feagles were forming up in two rows, leading to the hole. Tiffany prodded the toad. "'Do I want to know what a pismire is?' she whispered. "'It's an ant,' said the toad. "'Oh, I'm slightly surprised. "'And this sort of high-pitched noise?' "'I'm a toad. We're not good at ears, but it's probably him over there.' 
there was a feagle walking out of the hole from which came, now that Tiffany's eyes had become accustomed to the gloom, a faint golden light. The newcomer's hair was white instead of red, and while he was tall for a pixie, he was as skinny as a twig. He was holding some sort of fat skin bag bristling with pipes. "'Now there's a sight I don't reckon many humans have seen and lived,' said the toad. "'He's playing the mouse pipes. "'They make my ears tingle!' Tiffany tried to ignore the two little ears still on the bag of pipes. "'High-pitched, see,' said the toad. "'Of course the pixies here sounds differently than humans do. "'He's probably their battle poet, too.' "'You mean he makes up heroic songs about famous battles?' "'No, no. He recites poems that frighten the enemy. "'Remember how important words are to the knack-mack "'Well, when a well-trained gonagall starts to recite, the enemy's ears explode. "'Ah, it looks as though they're ready for you.' "'In fact, Rob Anybody was tapping politely on Tiffany's toe-cap. "'The Kelder will see you now, mistress,' he said. "'The piper had stopped playing and was standing respectfully beside the hole.' Tiffany felt hundreds of bright little eyes watching her. "'Special sheep liniment,' whispered the toad. "'Pardon?' "'Take it in with us,' the toad said insistently. "'It'd be a good gift.' The Pictses watched her carefully as she lay down again and crawled through the hole behind the stone, the toad hanging on tightly. As she got closer, she realised that what she'd thought was a stone was an old round shield, green-blue and corroded with age.' The hole it had covered was indeed wide enough for her to go through, but she had to leave her legs outside because it was impossible to get all of her into the room beyond. One reason was the bed, small though it was, which held the kelder. The other reason was that what the room was mostly full of, piled up around the walls and spilling across the floor, was gold. End of CD 3